Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. morning on this Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. Um, it is the 17th of January, 2022. I'm Carmen LaBurge. If you're joining us for the very first time, this is Mornings with Carmen. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. We seek to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day. It was uh, three days ago now, I think, maybe four. I don't know. I can't remember if it was Thursday or Friday that I read this opinion piece by David Brooks in the New York Times, but hadn't had an opportunity at the end of last week to talk about it. And I want to just lift it up here. Um, it is entitled, America is Falling Apart at the Seams. And it it's a profile of a culture in crisis, our own, our own. Um, David Brooks has been writing for the New York Times for the better part of 20 years. And I don't agree with him on everything, but his cultural assessment here, cultural assessment here, is spot on, in my view. And he chronicles um, the rise in the number of altercations that Americans are having on airplanes, the murder rate in cities across the country, drug overdoses, um, just uh, epidemic astounding levels. Uh, Americans are drinking more. Nurses say patients are becoming increasingly abusive in all kinds of uh, medical settings. Teachers are facing a rising tide of disruptive student behavior. Um, Drug deaths have risen continuously for the last 20 years, but shot up really especially during the pandemic. The Federal Bureau of Investigation states that hate crimes have surged to the highest level in 12 years. Um, Certainly the news out of uh, Colleyville, Texas, that we all watched over the weekend in terms of the hostage standoff at the Beth Israel Synagogue there um, reminds us that hate is deep and it's directed toward not only individuals but people groups. Meanwhile, giving to charity has actually steadily declined, both in religious and secular uh, causes. Um, And David Brooks says, quote, quote, I see a long-term loss of solidarity a long-term rise in estrangement and hostility. And then he adds this. I think this is what it feels like to live in a society that is dissolving from the bottom up as much as from the top down. I just know the situation is dire. It feels like America is falling apart at the seams. That is uh, the, the bottom line here. And he says that, you know, I don't really know what's causing all of it, but I will note these things. Uh, He notes that church membership has fallen below 50 percent for the first time in U.S. history. He cites a report that our nation is the world's has the world's highest rate of children living in single parent households. He also cites a Washington Post headline. America is a nation of narcissists. Um, And then he adds there there must be some spiritual or moral moral problem at the core of all this. And I'll just say to that, you think there must be some spiritual or moral problem at the core of all of this. Well, yes, indeed. Indeed. 
um, where David Brooks, you know, acknowledges Americans have been acting in fewer pro-social and relational ways and more antisocial and self-destructive ways. And then he asks the question, why? And he, he offers some answers. But as a Christian, I would say um, we must recognize that the devolution of a culture, including our own, follows the devolution of the character of the people of that culture. And in our culture, people have, over time, and are increasingly rejecting God. And this is actually, this coming apart at the seams business, this challenge in every direction, is actually exactly what God tells us in the Bible will happen to a people and a culture that rejects biblical truth. It's, I mean, it should not be a surprise to those of us who've read the Bible. America has been in a decades-long process of turning away from God to the desires of the flesh and the gratification of the self. I mean, nearly 80% of Americans, 79%, say that people can believe whatever they want as long as those beliefs don't affect others. Well, the challenge is your beliefs do affect others. Moral truth is objective. It is absolute, regardless of what you think or believe. Um, So we could talk here about sexual expression. We could talk about... uh, the abandonment of marriage. We could talk about having children, uh, raising children in single-parent households. We could talk about a lot of things. We could talk about religious affiliation. We could also talk about whether or not America is under God's divine judgment. And that's the question that you're going to hear raised increasingly. And so let me just remind us that we should be studying our Bibles and looking at all the ways, all the ways the Bible talks about God's judgment— I found at least five as I was preparing for this conversation today. And so are we under God's divine judgment? I think the answer to that is yes and no. I think we are under God's permissive judgment. You know, where where Paul talks in the opening verses of the book of Romans about, you know, well, I'll just describe it this way. He just letting people have their own head, like, you know, allowing people to dishonor themselves, giving them up to the lusts of their own hearts. That's what it says in Romans 1, God does. God gives them up to their own lusts, to their own desires. And Paul adds this in verse 28 of Romans chapter 1, they did not see fit to acknowledge God, and so God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. If you go on to read the following verses, you get the results. And they read a lot like David Brooks' article. The people are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Sound familiar? I do not think we are yet under God's punitive judgment, because I think that would everyone would be aware of it. But I think that the conversation about judgment is one we must have. All right, no one suffers more um, in a culture that devolves. No one suffers more than little children. And we are caused, we are called to take up the cause today of children living in extreme poverty around the world, even as we continue to hold out hope, hold out hope for the redemption of our own culture. We got to be a part of God's redemptive plan elsewhere as well, as elsewhere as well. Eva Guerrera joins us next to talk with us about how we can support one child in one place right now unto redemption. We'll be right back.
Eva Guerrero joins us now. She serves with one child. And I'm going to invite you to go to MyFaithRadio.com and click on the Support One Child link, and you can see there what's going on. We are partnering with One Child um, to support children around the world, those in extreme poverty. Eva, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so... Um, tell us about Hope Centers. I think that there are people listening right now who are, um, who are interested in how, um, how is it that we can come alongside one child in one place today? Like, how does that functionally then happen? So what is a Hope Center and how does a kid get connected to a Hope Center in their country? Um, first, I want to tell you, I'm from Honduras. And over here, we have 29 uh, hope centers. Hope centers are places where the children can go and find hope. That's why we have that. Hope is a very important thing, especially like, for example, in my country, when they have only one single parent, and Mm -hmm. sometimes that single parent goes to work all day long and they stay by themselves or they hear things that are not good for them. They don't hear any motivation. They don't receive hugs that much. They don't receive love. They don't know how to express love because of that. So they go to a place where there there are people that we call child champions. They give them love. They show the love of Christ to them, and they bring them hope through that, helping them not only in the area like spiritual area. We cover everything like even in the physical area, social, emotional area, and especially that part. That part is very important to us. And even we help them when they have struggles in school in some subjects, we try to help them. We connect with schools and we, we help them. When the child goes there, we try to give many things that sometimes they don't get at home, at home in the community or anywhere else. We try to be like a little place, a door to the hope, to a better future, to a uh, to help them to understand the challenges they're going through, even when they are very little. They mm-hmm. suffer many things, many things, like even, well, everything, yes. Mm. So, Eva, I think I think helping people understand what life is like for a child in extreme poverty in Honduras, if you would um, help us see that and understand that, Uh, And if you're listening right now and you want to meet a child that we're talking about right now, you can actually go to MyFaithRadio.com and click on the One Child link. You'll see it over there on the right-hand side of the page. Um, And when you do that, you can actually see the faces, uh, names, and uh, and then more information about kids in a number of countries that we are uh, inviting you to consider becoming a child champion. 
of these kids. And we're going to talk more about that in the coming days and weeks. Um, But today, Eva is helping us bring into focus kids, particularly in the nation of Honduras. I have visited Honduras. Um, I can tell you that time moves at a different speed there than it moves here in the United States of America. And the challenges that people face are different than the challenges we face here. But everyone faces the same challenge in terms of understanding who we are in relationship to God, um, that God loves us and cares for us, and then experiencing that in tangible ways um, through the Christian community, not only where we live, but around the world. And so we want to invite you to consider becoming a child champion, um, going on uh, the website and meeting a, a child and consider sponsoring them. Like that's what we're, that's the conversation that we're going to be having. So that happens through the ministry of one child, um, and they do it through uh, these hope centers in countries around the world. And today we're focusing on the 29 hope centers in Honduras. Um, Eva, uh, my producer, Paul Perot, uh, had the opportunity to travel to Honduras and meet folks at these hope centers. And he came home with all kinds of stories of these mama bears. And you are described as the mama bear of the mama bears. And so when we come back, I'd love for you to tell us what that means. Would you be willing to do that? Yes. Okay. So when we come back, we're going to talk, we're going to continue our conversation with Eva Guerrero. um, And and we're going to have her explain to us, what does it mean to be the mama bear of the mama bears? One child uh, is the ministry in focus. We'll be right back. Gracias, Sulime. If I were to tell you that uh, family is everything, familia lo es toda, uh, you might not understand what I'm talking about. But if you've ever met a mama in a place like Honduras, then you would know exactly what I'm talking about. Eva Guerrero is here. She works with One Child, and we are partnering with One Child at Faith Radio to find child champions for for kids in extreme poverty around the world. Um, you can partner with us by going to MyFaithRadio.com and clicking on the One Child link. Um, Eva, what does it mean um, for there to be mama bears, and what does it mean for you to be the mama bear of the mama bears? Well, I would like to start with uh, with a story. It's a real story. And I think Paul knows about the person that I'm going to talk about, that you can understand it better if I give you an example. Uh, in Hope Centers, we have a director. Um, the director oversees everything in the, in the center and cares for the children. And we have this center director that has one child that lives a little far from the center. Do you, you know that in uh, our country, one of the challenges uh, is to fight with the gangs? And uh, there is a border because one gang is in one side and one gang is in the other side. So this lady uh, has to uh, needed one of the children that crossed that border. And uh, in order to do that, to make it simple, she just went and talked to the gang member, the, the leader of them. She went and found him and went and talked to him because she wanted to tell him that this child will be crossing the line and will be going to the Hope Center that is on the other side. And, and that's how fierce the people is for their children. And once she talked with him, 
her surprise was that like mother, that's how they address like ladies, mother, we know you and we know all your children. We never touch your children so he can pass. That's no problem. So that's what I think Paul was referring when he was saying a mama bear. Mm -hmm. Mama bear will go to any extent to protect their little ones. So that's the way that, and if you see that lady, she's small. She got like <laughs> white hair and is, is, uh, is not something that is not a person that you will fear or impact like for the presence physically or anything, but they respect her. And uh, they don't touch her children, like the men say. And for me, I can tell you, I, I believe Paul talked about that because in my heart, I really admire so much all these mama bears, all these centers mm -hmm. directors. They are real, real champions. They fighting every day. They fighting against all even all the bad words that are said to their children, all the dangers. And for me, I, sometimes I feel I'm an advocate for the child champions too, because I want them to continue. I want them to be appreciated. And I want, because of them, the children to have hope that they can see that they have a person who will stand for them when sometimes even their own parents never stand. I'm telling you because sometimes parents leave. You know, probably you hear about caravans going to the state, mm -hmm. people going to the Spain, like in my country. So these children, sometimes they have to stay with their neighbors. They, it's not even family. It's just their neighbors mm -hmm. taking care of them. So they don't have really nobody who will stand for them in this way. So if they have those child champions, their life, their perception of life will be different, especially because that will go showing the love of God to them. That's the real thing that can make a difference. So Eva, I have, uh, I've gone to MyFaithRadio.com. I've clicked on the One Child link. I've, uh, I've clicked on um, sponsor a child so that I could meet some of the children. I put Honduras into the search bar, and I mm -hmm. am uh, I'm looking at Ers Escalante Morales, um, J E R S. Is, am I pronouncing that correctly? That that would be Ers. Yes, Eris. Okay. Yes, Eris. So Eris is <laughs> four years old. He is, you know, he's adorable. He's four years old. Every four year old <laughs> is totally adorable. Yes. Um. He he wants a child champion so that he can attend a hope center um he wants mm -hmm. to uh you know he he wants to learn he wants to sing um he wants to feel safe he wants to um eat and the the dorcas hope center is located um in an area of the country where children are in extreme poverty where the divorce rate is mm -hmm. high where, ch where where children go to work um, forced child labor is a part of what's going on in the part of Honduras where um, uh, where Harris lives. And so I, I look at his little face and I think to myself, if someone with resources does not intervene, someday 
He is going to pack up what few belongings he has, and he is going to try to move to a place where life is better for himself and for what will be his family. Um, And I think that um, the people listening right now in the United States of America, um, I want us to help them understand that if we don't come alongside and champion these children where they live and help them um, become men and women of character who can then lead their own country to renewal, um, then we are going to be in not only the cycle of gangs in Honduras right now and, and national corruption, but we are going to be in the same circumstance here in the United States where, yes, we're going to see massive flows of people from Central America, including Honduras, because people want a better life. So we can either help them make a better life where they are, or we can recognize they're going to come here. Like, that's the... That's this that is this conversation, you know, on this side of the American border that I'm trying to have with people who are listening right now. You can sponsor you can be a child champion for one child in Honduras um, and you can change the world. You can change the world by changing the life of one child. And so let me encourage you to consider doing that today. Go to MyFaithRadio.com. Click on, click on the one child link. Click on sponsor a child. That's how you can actually start meeting these kids. Um, and and consider becoming a child champion today. So Eris and others like him um, can find their identity in Christ and find a meaningful way to contribute in their own culture and build their own nation and reclaim it from gangs and corruption um, in order that they might not only live at peace with one another, but peaceably with their northern neighbors um, here in North America. Eva, what a delight to meet you. Thank you for everything that you do every single day. Please um, give our heartfelt uh, greetings to our brothers and sisters in Christ in Honduras. Yes. Thank you you. very much for having me. Absolutely. Bless you, my sister. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right. It is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. We are um, acknowledging the challenges that we face in the culture. We're also... You know, just acknowledging who we are um, as a people in a democratic republic and how we make decisions and who serves us uh, at the highest levels of governance. Daniel Bennett's going to join us next. Um, He serves at John Brown University. Uh, He also blogs at the Uneasy Citizenship blog. Um, And he and I are going to talk about where does the division among us really stem from? So I want you to consider that for just a moment. Like when we're at odds with one another, When we're at odds with one another on a personal level, when we're at odds with one another um, on a societal level, on a national or even geopolitical level, where does that division really come from? Don't you think about that? Where does the division among us really come from? We're going to answer that question next. When family issues bring you to the end of your rope, if you're worn out, spent, and overwhelmed, you might be tempted to shut down or escape. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Psalm 55 talks about getting release from stress. The writer says, oh, that I had the wings of a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Moms and dads of teenagers know that feeling all too well. At times, we want to escape. But in moments of exhaustion, pray for calmness. Ask God to keep your emotions from running wild. Pray that he would guide you and direct your team as only he can. Then pray that God will love your family through you. These are simple words, 
but they'll bring refreshment from the only source that provides lasting peace. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Check out his latest resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Daniel Bennett is back. Uh, he serves at John Brown University. He also writes at the Uneasy Citizenship blog. Daniel, welcome back. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I um, have been, I think this is a, a prayerful concern for me as well as just a, my brain is very interested in um, in discerning the answer to this question. Like what's at the root um, of the division among us? Um, we seem a people divided against ourselves, divided among ourselves. Um, and I'm just, I, and so I'm just going to initiate this conversation with a number of folks. Like, what do you see um, at the root um, of the division among us? Where, where, where does it really come from? Well, I mean, the, the, I guess, simple answer is sin, but I think we need to go, you know, I don't know deeper is the right word, but maybe get a little bit more uh, detailed. Uh, you know, as a political scientist, I think I'll, I'll put most of my answer and explanation on uh, where we find our identity. And mm. as and I think you're talking about as a people, you're talking about culturally, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to open this up to whatever interpretation the person I'm asking yeah. the question, what, you know, whatever direction they want to take it. I think if I was asking yeah. this question of Linda Mental, um, you know, she's going to answer it from a, a psychological, social mm. viewpoint. I expect you to answer it from the political viewpoint because that's your, yeah. you know, you know, that's where you spend most of your time thinking. Um, I certainly agree with you, like, right, the root is sin. But I, I think that um, talking with one another about how we see that manifest, if I can identify the points um, that create the division, maybe I have a better chance of seeing them when they rear their head. Yeah. And so I think some some research in, in political science can be helpful, at least in identifying some of this. Uh, more and more uh, people are finding their identity uh, in politics. And, and to some extent, I mean, that's inevitable uh, if we're talking about politics simply as what we do together, right? That's a pretty basic, almost philosophical de definition of what politics is. Um, but more concerning is people are finding their identity in partisan politics, uh, identifying with one tribe over others and finding not only their, their identity, but their worth and their value in the success and failures of that political party or movement. And so as that happens, you begin to see the people in your community, uh, the people who we should be doing politics with, uh, less and less as collaborators and more and more as uh, enemies or opponents, uh, particularly if you're viewing politics and partisan politics in a zero-sum way where if if you win, then I lose. Uh, and there's good research to back this up. Uh, Liliana Mason is probably the one who's written the best book on this called Uncivil Agreement. Um, came out a few years ago. Uh, Eye-opening, but also pretty depressing, uh, but also, I think, really prescient with where we are in 2022. When I think about identity and I think about the way people um, search for not just um, identity, but also belonging, I think those, and, and purpose. I mean, maybe we take all three of those and we recognize, like God says at the very beginning, God makes the observation, it's not good for man to be alone. Like we're, we are, we are, we are designed to be in relationship. And when, 
Um, when that primary relationship is lacking, right, we have a, a, a an overwhelming percentage of uh, of the U.S. population that is single, like right, not mm. in that relationship that God designed us to be in. And so when that relationship is lacking, you know, it's not that people are going to live in utter isolation because we can't. We'd go mad. Um, yep. I mean, we have to live in relationship and ultimately in community. Now, the nature of that community and how healthy it is or how supportive it is for, um, you know, the weakest among us or whatever, like those, I think, are the the conversations that we have most often at the political level. Um, and and. Maybe we're not having enough conversations about the loneliness that is resulting in, I mean, we would say it results in gangs and cults, but it also results in the kind of political ideology that people become a part of as if it is a religion. I mean, with religious zeal, they join these, um, they join these movements. And so I'm kind of wondering if there's a, I mean, yes, sin, but even, I mean, even before there was sin, there was this acknowledgement that man really wasn't going to be good on his own. Like it requires community, social relationship. I think it's a great observation. Uh, and actually, I just uh, finished my first book of the year, uh, Tim Carney's Alienated America. Uh, mm. He wrote it a couple of years ago, but uh, it's some pretty interesting observations. Uh, trying, he, was try- he wrote it trying to understand why Donald Trump uh, rose and did so well with a very specific kind of, of person in the United States. And he, he basically boils it down to alienation, uh, being forgotten, uh, having no hope. Uh, and it's not to say that people who, the only people who support, support Donald Trump don't have hope elsewhere. Um, but that was according to Carney, this, this driver of that initial support. And he points to exactly what you were talking about. People who aren't married, especially men, uh, people who weren't working, people who didn't have those civic associations that, you know, Alexis Tocqueville said were just central, uh, to what make what made America so special and different, uh, in the early days. Um, so your listeners might enjoy that. Uh, he's a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, really thoughtful writer and, and really uh, insightful. Yeah, that's a um, that's a good recommendation. I have um, a copy of Alienated America and I have not read it yet. And yeah, I it's acknowledge. Yeah, I acknowledge like that's that's been on, in the stack for a couple of years. Um, <laughs> right, me too. right. I mean, that's super helpful, though. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, I'm going to think more about that. I'm reading some um, some research uh, in the in the sort of psychology and even health areas as well, talking about the various like physical and social disorders that um, Americans are experiencing in greater and greater percentages and numbers, and not just here but globally. Like, why are we also getting less healthy? Uh, uh, you know, in terms of mental health and physical health, mm. and um, there's at least some people that point to like loneliness as. Mm. I mean, they point to it on an evolutionary basis. I'm going to point to it on a, uh, you know, on on the basis that God created us um, to be in relationship, not only with him, but with one another. So I I think this is a conversation that might help us move forward um, into the future. So thanks for thanks for tilling that soil with me this morning. Um, Daniel, how about we um, take a break and we come back? I'd love to have a conversation with you about how obsessed the media is with Biden's approval ratings. Um, where they are, um, the president has not found success in influencing um, Senate Democrats to sort of do what he wants them to do. And then there's lots of conversation about whether or not he can turn it around. So can we talk about all that? Absolutely. 
All right. All that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is amazing grace. Continuing our conversation with Daniel Bennett. Daniel, um, give us a sense of where we are uh, as Americans in terms of how we feel, because I think these are all feelings questions, how we feel about the job that the current president is doing. Well, presidents usually start with a bit of what uh, observers call a honeymoon period, where uh, the people are inclined to give him, you know, basic somewhat of the benefit of the doubt. This this was definitely minimized in the Trump years or the or the early part of the Trump days. And I guess there's probably some evidence that it's uh, maybe shrinking in, in the Biden era, too, um, just given the polarization that we've seen. But, uh, you know, things aren't going particularly well uh, for the Biden administration in terms of public approval, which is really interesting when you consider that by some measures he should be doing better. Um, so the economy, we could talk about inflation and all these things, but the economy itself is actually humming along pretty pretty steadily. Uh, you know, obviously that's in that's significantly due to coming out of the pandemic. Um, I saw a graphic the other day where I think his chief of staff touted that this is the greatest job growth of any president in you know American history. <laughs> it's like, well, <laughs> you know, there was a pretty low low floor to, to build from. Um, and so maybe that's part of it. Uh, but generally speaking, uh, his, his approval numbers, numbers have been under 50 percent for quite some time now. That's not entirely unusual for a first term president going into a midterm election year. Uh, but I, I think given Biden's success in the Senate over the years and his promise to work with the Senate to pass his agenda, it's it's definitely lower than where he wanted to be at this point. My, this is just my own absolute personal view. I don't see a person when I when I watch him, when I listen to him, I don't see a person who is building momentum. I see a person who is losing momentum and people don't like to follow a person who appears to be or a movement that appears to be losing momentum. And so when people ask the question about, you know, can he turn it around or, you know, is I, I think there was a headline, you know, is the president is the Joe Biden presidency doomed or something like that? Um, I, I don't. You know, I'm not fatalistic in quite that way, but I am a person who can look at at a person in leadership and say whether they recognize it or not, their influence is waning. No, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, and, and in many ways, Biden, his entire political career has not been one of transformation. It's not been one of development or innovation. It's been one of steadiness. I mean, that's what he campaigned on, right, to get back to uh, the uh, I think what he would have called the pre-Trump normalcy of American politics. That's not exactly the the really exciting push that you're hoping from a president. And so I don't know that we should be surprised that he's not really able to capitalize or drive uh, on any sense of momentum. Um, but you know, as we progress into the midterm election years or the, the midterm election this year and then in 2024, that is going to be a problem because what's he running on exactly? Let's say he does mm -hmm. run for president again in 2024. What's he going to run on exactly? The foreign policy stuff hasn't been that great. Uh, the economy, again, is, is kind of a mixed bag when you consider the inflation. Uh, but he you know, does have good unemployment numbers. The pandemic is still lingering and there's been some miscommunications or, and missteps from the administration on these things. So 
there's not really one significant thing that their administration can point to and say, look what we've done for the American people um, without some significant caveats. And, you know, even the Trump years, they could say, especially to his base, well, you know, look, all this controversy, but look at the Supreme Court, right? That, that, or look at the judges or look at, uh, you know, the executive actions. Um, and so those things that just don't really exist right now for the Biden administration. And that's going to be a challenge, I think, later this year and in a couple of years. So we're talking with Daniel Bennett. We're, we're talking broadly about what's going on at the national level in terms of um, the approval rating of the president, uh, failure to influence his fellow Democrats, particularly in the Senate, to accomplish some of the things um, on his agenda. I, I feel like, Daniel, and I'm using the word feel because I... <laughs> Because when I think about these things, um, you know, my cerebral, the cerebral part of me sort of takes over and I become super analytical. Um, And I I'm acknowledging that most people who engage in the political conversations of the day actually do so at a feelings level. So that's um, that's why I keep saying I feel Um, I I feel like last week in particular, and it's in relationship today being Martin Luther King Jr. Day, I felt like the president was screaming at us, shaming us. Mm. And I that's not encouraging. That's not motivating. That's not I have a dream. That's not even in the spirit of the person um, who he was trying to point to or the movement he was trying to capitalize on. Like, I, I don't think you unite people by shaming them. And if he was supposed to be the uniter in chief, then this seems a miserable failure. Yeah, I think you can point to maybe contrast that speech with some of President Obama's or even candidate Obama's earlier speeches. Absolutely. He had his detractors and he had his he had his critics. But uh, the, 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 the entire thrust of those speeches were supposed to be unifying. Now, we can debate whether or not in practice they were and and whether the results were. But, you know, President Obama spoke in these lofty ideals. And I think it almost seems as as if Joe Biden is trying to copy that or trying to take a page from that playbook. And he's just that's just not the type of politician he is. And so when you try to copy that and and, and just try to put your name on it, it doesn't come across maybe as genuine and it certainly doesn't come across as effective. Did Obama write his own speeches or at least edit them to sort of make oh, them yeah. sound more like himself? Sig- he had a significant input into that. If you read some interviews and books and memoirs from his speechwriters, one of his early speechwriters, a guy named John Favreau, who has his own like media network now, um, he said that Obama it took him a long time for, pe- for him to basically let people in to his process. Uh, to where once you got in, there was almost a sense of they were sharing this type of relationship where they could almost finish each other's sentences. The speechwriters knew how he liked to turn a phrase. But yeah, there's evidence that he would you know, significantly edit things and handwritten notes during speeches on the way to the venue. Um, I don't get the sense that's how Joe Biden does politics. No, I totally agree. Um, just for the record, in case anybody's keeping track, I write all my own speeches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have a speechwriter either, Carmen. We're just we're, we're pretty basic like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're pretty. We Daniel and I are pretty ground level in terms of what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> all right. So if I were to go visit the Uneasy Citizenship blog and I would be uh, surveying the things that you're looking at, talking about, paying attention to. Um, is there something that maybe is, is is out there on the political landscape that you think we're not paying enough attention to right now? You want to draw our mm. attention to it? 
Yeah. Um, well, I think if we're going to talk just generally political, one thing that's been really interesting to me, and there's been people who've talked about this a bit, not necessarily at the at the higher levels, um, kind of this increasing, and you talked about division uh, in this last segment, uh, just increasing maybe division that we're seeing among certain aspects of the Christian communities, particularly mm. what we'll call the online Christian communities, where there just seems to be a lot of distrust among among certain Christians on social media for one another, questioning motivations, questioning in some ways uh, just the basics of their faith. Uh, and, you know, again, this kind of gets back to viewing these inter- exchanges as zero-sum, and I don't doubt the motivations are good, but, man, you talked about a house being divided against itself. Like, I think we have to be especially careful as Christians if we look at the broader culture and lament that division. We can't let it infest our relationships with fellow believers. That doesn't mean we can't call people to account. It doesn't mean we can't go through the biblical process for seeking, you know, reconciliation. Um, But I think social media, like so much else, is just twisting those relationships in pretty negative ways. I think a house divided against itself is a good, um, that's probably a really good talking point. And a good way of entering into the conversation, you know, with a biblical illusion um, and being able to say, what does Jesus mean when he talks about a house divided against itself? And what does it mean that it cannot stand? Um, And who are we as Christians to be, you know, openly, openly slaying one another on social media? Like, is that not like seeking to cut up the body of Christ in public? I mean, that's what it feels like. So that's a really important observation. And I got to be honest, I, I got to be really careful in checking myself and my intentions, too, because when I read certain things, my first reaction is to, you know, immediately click that button and reply and say, this is, you know, this is why you're wrong or make a snarky comment or something, because that's, you know, more of my personality. But that that's and I have to check myself on that. Um, the, the feedback that you get from social media doesn't always uh, lead you to the thoughtful or right approach. So that's one of the, my things that I'm leaning into in 2022. I love that. All right, Daniel Bennett, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful day off. I hope you and your people have um, have some good day off plans. Thanks, Carmen. Yeah, absolutely. That's Daniel Bennett. You can find him at John Brown University. You can also find him at his Substack, Daniel Bennett. It's the Uneasy Citizenship blog. We'll be right back. All right. um, I love the fact checking. No, Abraham Lincoln was not the first one to say a house divided against itself cannot stand. Jesus said it first. Matthew 12 is where you want to be in the word um, to to hear that today. We've got another hour up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.